Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. On this week's episode, we have got a ton of Pokemon tournaments to talk about. There were three major tournaments this past weekend. We, of course, had the Knoxville Regional Championships that Azul and I were both at. We had the Melbourne Regional Championships taking place in Australia. And there was also a Singapore Regional League tournament, a pretty big tournament down there in Southeast Asia, that took place this weekend as well. We're going to recap all the results from those tournaments and give our opinions on everything that happened down there. We'll, of course, have Guess That Flavor Text, everyone's favorite segment of the podcast. And we're going to wrap it up by talking about another regional championships coming up this weekend. The Dortmund Regional Championships taking place over in Europe, in Germany. Give our thoughts and opinions and make some predictions. It's definitely going to be a tournament results slash meta heavy podcast episode this week so we hope you're ready for it and then of course after it's all said and done we're going to hop over to our patreon and give our patreon supporters that exclusive 30 minute bonus episode that we do every single week patreon.com slash uncommon energy podcast if you're interested in getting a little bit extra content from myself and as well and my name as always is chip richie joined here as always by my friend and co-host Azul GG. What's up, Azul? How we doing, buddy? Doing pretty good, Chip. Just got back from Knoxville, <clears throat> where I got uh, top 16 finish. Unfortunately, uh, bubbling out of the top eight. Did win my, um, or get the victory in the winning end. Um, thanks to uh, Edwin honoring our, our gentleman's agreement. But wasn't enough. Uh, my resistance camp a little bit short um, behind uh, Jackson Ford, I believe. So ninth place, but that's fine. I'm not like too bummed or anything about it. It's kind of another another stop in the uh, in the circuit for the year. I think I did lock up. If I didn't lock it up at Charlotte, which I think I did, but I'll check my points like post Charlotte just to like check. But this should definitely lock up my third Worlds invite of the year. I think six hundred Worlds. Points. Yeah, one from Worlds, one from winning San Antonio. Now I should have six hundred points. I honestly thought it would be like <clears throat> like going into the season. I didn't plan to go to any locals at all. I thought it would maybe be a little bit difficult to get my world's invite this year. Um, but then you forgot you were just built different, buddy. Come on now. <laughs> apparently, yeah. So, yeah, my third world's invite of the year. Hopefully get a couple more before the season concludes. Um, yeah, I played the the Kyogre Lost Zone small wild cheese deck. Um, and uh, the deck was okay. Like, the deck was fine. Like I, I don't think it's like anything super special. And I think now that it's a little bit more on the map, it doesn't become quite as good of a play moving forward. But, uh, but it was cool to play Lost Box again, for sure. Hadn't played Lost Box in a little while. Yeah, and definitely uh, quite a bit more on the map because, I mean, you played it. Uh, Caleb was in day two with it as well. But Aiden Coos yeah. with a really similar list made it all the way to second place. And we'll talk about the results and stuff like that and maybe a little bit more about your deck list and stuff when we get into the Charlotte recap or the uh, Knoxville recap, I guess. Um yeah. How but, was yeah. your week doing the casting thing? It was good. Yeah. So I was actually doing like I wasn't casting. I was like hosting slash they call it like the analyst role. But I think it's like more like a host really is what it feels like opening up the show and in between rounds doing interviews and stuff like that. We've got a new setup where they have the ability to do. um, Like on the floor interviews a, a little bit. Ease, more easily they added that a couple tournaments ago but this was the first time i had done the hosting 
with having that. And so that was pretty cool. We went out there after round seven and we were grabbing people as they were like sending in their match slips, like who had just locked up day two, interviewed a couple people who like were making their first day twos, um, which was pretty cool. Get some like excited reactions, see some new faces. Um, I did uh, an interview with Polka Pop, which was pretty cool talking about the history of the game, you know, for anyone who doesn't know who Poke Pop is, he's one of, I mean, I, I guess the most tenured judge maybe in the game. He said he started with the game when jungle came out, which is the second set ever from 1999. So chatted with him about judging and how the game has changed team compendium, what he does with like writing the compendium and stuff like that, which is like where all the rulings are posted and upkept. Um, and then we had an infamous ring toss segment as well, which if you <laughs> didn't watch the live stream and you don't know what I'm talking about, better for you, I guess. Uh, <laughs> don't worry about it. But yeah, the, it was a it was overall a good time running around. Um, I felt bad for the they have a guy who's like a camera operator. And I was always because it's like one camera that's shared between all three games. And so, uh, you know, he was like having to do stuff with the other people who were hosting for the other games for Go and for uh, VGC. But I kept bugging him like, hey, I kind of want to go do this over here. And he'd have to like lug the whole camera set up in the big light and stuff all the way across the <laughs> tournament room. And it was a bit of a hassle, but I think we got some some good segments out of it. Uh, hopefully people enjoyed that. But yeah, it was fun. Yeah, the more the, the more content stuff that I see being done and stuff, that's all really, really good. Do you think there'll be a point? Yeah, because I think it's like, yeah, because now you have like the backstage, uh, I mean, I guess analyst lounge area where you do the interview sometimes or where you just talk. Mm -hmm. and then you have like the on-floor interview stuff now as well, which is really cool to see. So there's more content being added to the, <clears throat> I guess, I don't know, to the to the arsenal for uh, mm -hmm. the live events. Do you think there'll ever be like a dedicated, I mean, I feel like this will be eventually, as long as the game keeps going, like a dedicated analyst desk for like each game. Where it's like that's what you cut to. Um Yeah, maybe. You know, get you um, out there with like one of those weatherboard, those like weatherboard things you can kind of touch and write on and be like, right here is where he misplayed, uh, attach to the wrong Pokemon. Yeah, I mean um, we we just added replay capability this season. Like they've been showing replays yeah. after every single game. That's a new thing that got added this year. Um so I mean, I feel like they they're continuing to add stuff and improve it and all that. Uh, so maybe someday I would say, um, I mean, the analyst sense. lounge is just like two, like a year and a half old at this point. Right. Like, yeah, that thing hasn't been around for that long. I feel like it, like, I mean, I feel like the next step to that would be to have like a analyst lounge for each game. Right. Yeah. And like... there's already been talks about trying to get a second lounge, at least a second lounge built or some yeah. other option because, uh, Man, it is, it, it's like tough to to share it a lot of the time it's like we're finishing up around and it's like oh vg's in there doing an interview and stuff like that or it's like yeah. you know we're coming up on a time where we're finishing up an interview where you kind of want to do some other segment but vg has like you know they're in game three of top cut so we can't use it because they're gonna be needing to you know do something with it right after they're done with top cut right yeah um yeah so we've got a little bit of that going on, but I think that was kind of the idea with adding the, the roaming floor cam uh, is that that would take, you know, we'd be able to use that a little bit to take some of it off of the lounge, but yeah, it would be cool to be able to just constantly go back to it um, regularly. And, you know, as more and more production people are getting added to the team, like 
at the Pokemon company, I feel like a lot more of those like ideas and things that have existed in other spaces, like are being brought up. So I feel like, you know, uh, it's probably only going to continue to grow is what my prediction would be. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. It's just like something like I like, <clears throat> had thought about like it being like the next, next up having like a dedicated analyst place for like after each match. So like there's the casters and then there's the analyst desk and then you just go to the analyst desk to talk about everything. Yeah. And they're cut away to the breaker commercial until you come back. And then you like open up with the analyst desk again, and then you go from the analyst desk to the casters kind of thing. But yeah, it's definitely all. Uh, it's good to see it growing, and especially like the level of production is like really high. Of course, I think as well. Like especially compared to like, I like you just kind of think about it, like compared to any other card game out there right now. Even like when Magic was doing their stuff, like the stuff that Pokemon does is of a much higher quality in terms of production than what Magic. Magic was a little bit more. Yeah. No one's doing of, it like us right now for sure. Yeah, Magic was like like the. The higher end magic stream, like I led their world championships, I think maybe got, and not even that, but like compared to like the, like whenever when I tuned into the magic world championships, like that was comparable to Pokemon events when I, the last time I watched the magic world championships was years ago now, but like their normal, you know, regional style events, it always felt like, yeah, it feels like Pokemon is definitely doing things on like a, another level for sure compared to any other card game. And it's like <clears throat> actually just kind of like rivaling esports more than anything. Yeah, um, and I think like that's a big deal for because like the card game is never going to get that big, right? But it's a big thing for like the video game because the video game could be that big, you know. Um, so like, I mean, it's not going to be like, as big as like League of Legends or something like that, but like it could get on the map as far as like esports goes or whatever you want to say. Sure. At some point, for sure. So it's just cool to see. Yeah. But yeah, let's go ahead and let's hop in. Let's talk about Knoxville. Um, I guess first, unless you want to start somewhere else. No, yeah, let's talk about Knoxville. I mean, we were both there, so it's uh, definitely the tournament we are, you know, most up to date with what exactly happened on, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a decent sized tournament, right? But by most standards, but then if you think about it compared to what we've had so far this season, it was a little bit smaller of one, right? 1,367 players. Um, and I have to imagine a big part of that was just tournament space uh, because... I mean, I'm sure you noticed it as well, but we were a little tight in the the venue. Yeah, this there was not... compared to the last few tournaments. Yeah, it didn't feel overly cramped, though. To be honest, like uh, the tournament that stands out to me over post COVID that felt the worst was NAIC. Um, not the one that I won, but last year's NAIC was mm -hmm. insanely cramped. That was a pretty miserable experience. It was really hot in there too, or I guess it was really hot because there's so many people. But yeah, that was like kind of a little miserable. NAIC, the last NAIC was a little miserable, at least on day one. Day two, of course, things stood out quite a bit. But um, yeah, it was pretty cramped in there. And yeah, yeah, only 1,300 uh, players compared to some of the other ones. Definitely, And it could have been bigger, though, right? I think if they had more venue, had more space, we could have, you know, you know, had quite a few more. I mean, this is the one that sold masters. out super fast, right? Yeah, and then they had a second wave for like, they made was more it, space. Was it like a twelve hundred to to fourteen hundred? Something that was like the, that, right? I mean, it has yeah. to have been around fourteen hundred, right? Because we got thirteen sixty seven yeah. that showed up. Yeah, so only like they only found like two hundred more spots, and it filled up. I think like instantly. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure like instantly. Actually, speaking of that, um, Ryan Antonucci actually won the whole event. Only was like ran got randomly got through to register for the event just by a random spot opening up. Um, I think like in the middle of the day me. or something like that. Yeah, like he didn't even get in on wave two. He just like randomly got into a spot that was just opened up in the middle of the day. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> it's uh, I guess it's kind of funny the that he uh, you know went from you know 
not even overly planning to go to the event, was able to get into registration into winning the whole thing with Gardvor. And this is what someone mentioned to me. I didn't like fact check it, but thinking about it, I think it makes sense. This is Gardvor's first dub, right? Wrong. Oh, all right. Henry Brand won. Oh, I guess that is wrong. That yeah, someone told me that. I was like, is it? I was like thinking back, like Gardevoir really hasn't won that much. I guess Caleb let Gardevoir win. Mm, so it's Caleb's fault. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Second dub for Gardevoir, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I forgot about that one. First one of this format and stuff, though. That was like before. Yeah, I guess that was like Scarlet Violet base set format. Like Super Rod didn't even exist yet. Yeah, I guess since it's become its most powerful form, yeah. um, it hasn't won. But yeah, it has already gotten a dub, I guess. All right, second major dub then, Ryan Antonucci, um, who probably a lot of players are not familiar with. Um, we're very familiar with Ryan. Um, definitely a, a homie and a friend. Um, but even if you're just like someone in North America who knows a lot of players, you've probably heard Ryan's name before, has had a couple decent accomplishments. Um, Most notable one is top eight at uh, NAIC in 2018. Yeah. Before this. Yeah, and then I would say... Um, and he, like, was, I think, first seed going into that top cut, too, back then, if I'm remembering right. I mean, he was fifth seed in the final placing, so that would make sense. Yeah, and he's had... Uh, he actually had, like, a couple decent... Or he was doing really well, like, post uh, the, the half-season pre-COVID, yeah. where everything got cut short, but... Um, he was, like, close to top 16, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. He's definitely... He's, like, one of those players who hasn't really made his, the name for himself, but, like, if you know... If you're in the know of like knowing like those players who are just kind of waiting to have their breakout breakout performance, you know, like uh, Ryan Antonucci is like one of those and has been very stubbornly on Gardvor. Whenever he asks me what he should play, I always tell him just stop playing Gardvor, but stuck it out. Uh, we <laughs> see a couple not so great placements before this first place finish here at a, a uh, yeah, top 130 or 135th there at pittsburgh peoria 34th not too bad for 41st at charlotte i think dropped a couple in here as well went to toronto i think didn't make it through day one um so stuck it out all the way kept playing gardvor every time i talked to him about it he'd be like no gardvor's the best deck i'm just gonna run it back i don't know any other deck well enough and i was like well you're used to you always tell me you're misplaying with gardvor he's like yeah but it's the best deck if i just play better Mm. No, I'll get the dub. It's honestly like a and... good mentality to have too. You know, it's like if you feel like a deck is the strongest and the only thing that is limiting your success is your play. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, kudos to him for sticking through that, I, I would say. Yeah, only one of the events he said he blamed on uh variants. I think it was maybe Peoria or Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. Um, but he said like all the other ones, like he felt like he played well. Or no, he felt like um he didn't play the best and he could have just done better. For the majority of it so but yeah stuck it all the way through and then gets the dub in knoxville uh it's cool to see him definitely get that dub and uh yeah did it with the the guardy um and nothing too super crazy in his list either right like it was pretty standard pretty straightforward um i guess like the only thing that like stood out to me was um there's no Cresselia. that was the biggest thing that stood out to me yeah but it's almost become kind of a little bit of the norm like I don't think I would say most lists still had Cresselia. It's super most good. In the do, but when you yeah, most do, but when you look at like some of the top players who people are gonna be looking at, Tor didn't play it to the sixteenth place finish at Liverpool, Gustavo didn't play it in Charlotte. Like, um, you know. And actually on the flip side of that, um, something that surprised me the most out of Garver list was Rowan not playing Screamtail, but still playing the Cresselia. So that was like a bigger surprise to me. Someone in my chat mentioned that Rowan said that he didn't miss it the whole tournament long. I don't know if that's a direct quote or someone just gassing it, but that's it, that's definitely an interesting uh, decision there. 
because um, I've always thought the Screamtail was broken since I started using it in Gardevoir, since I started trying it. And I always thought that would come first before Cresselia. But like you said, the Cresselia does give you that better Tina matchup. And if you are trying to like win tournaments right now, I feel like being able to beat Tina or having like a little edge against Tina is definitely a uh, something to look for, for sure. Because there's a lot of really good players. There's a lot of players playing Tina, but there's a lot of really good players playing Tina as well. Yeah, we see here in day two of Knoxville, 93% of day two players had Screamtail and only 67 had Cresselia. So, I mean, I imagine that accounts for everyone except Rowan, most likely. Maybe if one other person was on his 60, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think it might just be... Yeah, it's just him. Yeah, just him. I think it might be. I did, like, go through all the other... I did go through, like, every single list of this and Melbourne. And I think it was... In day just... two, you went through, like, 100 lists? Yeah. Mad I mean, man. it's not fast. You just like show, click on it. Well, I click on it. if you go to the top on the. I know page, how you can see. Yeah, it fast. yeah. I don't know deck lists. I just went to deck lists and then. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah and they open them one at a time. So just look for anything like interesting, um, or like general trends, um, that popped up. Um, yeah, and speaking of general trends, you actually kind of skipped ahead on our chart here, but you know whatever, that's fine as well. You don't gotta follow the you know document that we make or anything like that, but. First up, before we talk about the top eight decks, we usually would talk about the day one meta and a little bit of a surprise here. Roaring Moon, second most popular deck, all the way up to 13.8%. Yeah. And I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? It's like a pretty easy deck to pick up. It's a really fun deck to play. And there's like now a good list out there with the Ross Coffin list. They got top eight in Charlotte. And it feels like most people have just been starting with that and going from there. Yeah, a lot of people already innovating on that with like catchers and a couple lists. Um, some people even adding water energy to it. So people making their adjustments to it. It's not just that the Ross 60 anymore. It's evolved a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's pretty, that was unexpected to me for sure. Tina not being the second most popular deck was definitely a surprise. Yeah. Charmstar being the most popular deck again. Now I'm no longer surprised about it, surprised by it. It just kind of makes sense. I wonder if we'll see it start to drop off though. Nope. Um, not for Dortmund because I think it's too soon. But I think as we get towards Vancouver, which is a little ways away, I think we'll start to see a shift in. Um, and honestly, Roy and Moon becoming the most popular deck wouldn't be that big of a shock to me. Because I think everything you said is true. It's a fun deck to play. It's kind of replaced Maridon as that, hey, uh, which deck should I kind of pick up right now to like play at my next tournament? And like usually the recommendations I felt like were, well, Maridon and Charizard. Now I think it's going to be Roy and Moon and... I mean, maybe still Charizard will still be a good recommendation. I mean, I think the Charizard is still a really good deck. And I think one of the things that leads to Charizard's lack of success, uh, at least in Knoxville, because it did do pretty well over in Melbourne, um, is just like the players who choose to bring the deck. But uh, besides that, I guess like the rest of the the, the day one meta, it seems uh, reasonable, right? Tina's still up there at 12. Like it's not the second most popular deck, but it's still got 12%. Lost Box was up to 10. The hype behind the Mawile Kyogre, not only did uh, me and my group play it, but some other people definitely picked it up. Um, Guard War around 8%. I think that's actually where Guard War is going to chill. there'll be some Sablesard in this 10% as well. Yeah, exactly. The I think the Guard is going to chill around that 8%. I think that's where it's going to stay. I think a lot of people have just come to terms that, hey, this is not the deck for me. I don't have enough time to put into the game, or I don't really want to put forth that effort to like get comfortable with Guard War. You still see like really good players, Raymond Long, uh, Rowan still choosing to pick it up, play it over and over again. Like, it's not less so Raymond, more so Rowan. Um, so they're going to keep bringing it. You know, there's like the diehards. Um, like, we'll see if Tord brings it again to like Dortmund. Um, and then Marina, I guess, is like the, th the thing that took the biggest hit. Yeah. 
overall. But the coolest thing is now we can go a little bit further. Um, and now we can look at the rest of day one. There's the new graphic. I've mentioned this a couple times. Uh, <laughs> that it would be really nice to see more of the day one meta share. It's probably a little bit less rele relevant in more narrow metas. Or in like day two, it's not as relevant anymore because the meta gets so much smaller, right? Um, but in these day ones, it's really, especially in a, a big of, as in the, for the current metas that we have, it's really nice to see these other very meta relevant decks, right? Because we talk about the the Mew Maxes, the Golden Goes, the Controls, the Chi and Pows, Iron Valiant a little bit less so, but now we can actually see where they're falling in terms of percentage um, in this um, in the day one meta. Yeah, and <clears throat> Mew Max right off the day, uh, the top six, you know, being at the seventh place, there was. 100 Maridon EX players in the tournament and 96 Mew VMAX players. So Mew still being really strong, uh, really popular, I should say, uh, after its win in Liverpool. But yeah, it, it did feel like overall people were prepared. I saw a decent amount of the Giratinas had Spiritomb in the deck, right? Yeah. Which does like do a pretty good job at swinging that matchup. And um, a decent amount of players played Roaring Moon, which yes. uh, <laughs> not which much just has a solid matchup there. against Mew anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's what we thought. Fabrizio tried to probably change some minds with 4-0-ing Roaring Moon uh, on his run to becoming the Liverpool regional champion. Um, but I think, you know, I was still pretty confident. Roaring Moon, especially with Moltres, especially with Four Sealstone, especially with Research, um, I was pretty confident that was still going to be a good matchup for Roaring Moon. Because um, yeah. even when I was testing like a more turbo build of Roaring Moon, I thought it was favored against Mew without Moltres, without Four Sealstone, just Sada's no research, just like no heavy draw support. Um, it still felt pretty comfortable for Roaring Moon. So you get all those other factors involved, and I feel like it just becomes super easy for the Moon. And there are a few <laughs> other decks right off the end of this as well. Like yeah. I think the data we have has like 15 decks on it or something like that. Gotta cut uh, it at some point though. Pretty funny. There was like, <laughs> there has been. Uh, one ting lu deck at each of the last like three four tournaments <laughs> and it's been the same guy every single time <laughs> just rolling up a ting lu every single time ting lu enjoyer yep maybe it's uh i was gonna henry brandon disguise i know uh <laughs> yeah. yeah i sat next to him round one of laic and he was like i was almost land scooping this tournament <laughs> just ting lu's attack <laughs> yeah and yeah, Golden goes right there, not too far. So like, so it's really cool to see. See, and this would be like a lot cooler to see after this develops over a couple tournaments, sure. because then you can actually see like the growth of some decks, right? Like maybe Golden Go would have been a two percent deck the tournament before, but now we see it become a four percent deck. Yeah, so on and so forth. Um. So yeah, it's really cool to have this extended day one meta breakdown now for sure. So I'm excited yeah. to keep seeing this pop up in the future. Yep, and we definitely should continue to see it popping up, I would hope, and we can move on to the next one, which is our day two graphic showing the most popular deck, Roaring Moon. Yeah, Roaring Moon spiked up there quite a bit. 20%, 21% of the meta. Um, dude, I was looking, I only played against one Roaring Moon. I was looking for them all day, bro. I was like, yeah. where are these moons at? I heard it's 20% of the meta. Where are they Tiger's at? Tiger's a big fan of the Roaring Moon matchup, huh? Yeah, I did find one um at some point round i don't know 13 14 i forget but finally found one and got my dub against the moon um but yeah that's uh i don't know is that so surprising like charge right is the most popular deck so i guess it has to be a little surprising right between it tina was right there under roaring moon as like a favorable matchup for the moon 
Um, but yeah, Charizard being the most popular deck, I think it's a little surprising that uh, Roaring Moon came in uh, as the most popular deck in today too. Um, especially with a lot of the Charizards adjusting and now having that Radiant Charizard, not even like as a reason because of Roaring Moon, but just because of how how it kind of the meta developed around it. Besides that, yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, I think that Charizard's matchups honestly are still like overall pretty good. Right, like yeah. I think your Roaring Moon matchups pretty good. Um, yeah. Tina 50 50, slightly favored for Tina, probably. The road uh, that is another thing as well, by the way. The Spiritomb in Giratina is, I think that definitely gives them like a few percentage points in the matchup, like almost for sure. Not being able yeah. to just road them your hand up turn one if they go first and uh get down Spiritomb, or uh, if they go commit. second, then you don't get road them out, like. It's hard for them to be able to commit to using one of their Pokemon search cards, turn one going first to sure. a Rotom or to sure. a Spear Tomb. They but usually it is have like... to leave Greninja out of the equation or bench lock themselves. Yeah. So, like, it can be tough to actually, like, make that work. But sometimes they have the, the extra Pokemon search to go find it. I think they're still choosing to go second in the matchup. But, yeah, for sure. Um, and in that case, uh, it's a little bit easier to find it. But in there, theoretically, the Rotom's already been drawing its cards. Uh, but even shutting down, like, Luminion as the game progresses is, like, pretty good as well. So it's like another, yeah, it's like another tool that tina has for the, the charizard matchup now i still think the biggest factor is how many paths does the deck play um but besides that like yeah the spirit tomb is like another added thing i don't know if people are gonna, i don't know if tina's gonna be playing spirit tomb moving forward though with i think it should as it because is. it gets the huge buff of being super good against roaring moon as well oh yeah that's what i've been seeing people say that it's really good to shut down the it's Moltres. so good against roaring moon especially because good? now people are playing like two sada in their list right and so their most re reliable way to get three energy on a roaring moon is dark patch attach and then energy switch one off moltres like yeah. that's the most reliable path to to getting a turn one attack with roaring moon but I mean, if it matters that much then i would say i guess you do keep it right because you may as well even though roaring moon has become so popular may as well have that extra card for your mew matchup because like just because roaring moon's good against me doesn't mean you're not going to hit mew um does kind of collateral charge art a little bit does collateral control a little bit um not that you're like you're pressed for a tech card in those matchups. But if it's that good against Roaring Moon, then I guess it is worth keeping. I guess that's something I'm just not too familiar with, but I did see people talking about it on Twitter. It just gives um, you a lot of like Alberto. help in a lot of matchups, honestly. Like Yeah, I saw Alberto and uh Alberto and some other Tina heads discussing <laughs> discussing mm -hmm. the Spiritomb on on Twitter. Um and it seemed that the one of the things that was brought up was yeah, it seems pretty cool against Moon to shut down the Moltres. Um, to slow down that energy acceleration, be able to make the comeback in that matchup because you're almost always making a comeback in that matchup. Yeah, uh, and then you know, Lost Zone Gardevoir picking up a little bit in day two, and then we did have the the other decks graphic as well in day two. Like you said, oh, it's I didn't like know a little existed. bit less relevant. Oh, I thought this didn't exist, but actually, that's sick. I'm glad this exists. Yeah, it's a little bit less relevant because there's just like a handful, but you do get to see some yeah. cool stuff. Like there's only three anti Iron Valiant in day two, but Tyler Matthews was able to take his list all the way to top eight. Yeah, make sure they keep this chip. Do not let them get rid of this. This is good information. And I'm yeah. sure the casters enjoy it too. It's something else to like look at and talk about and discuss. And you can even bring those points up, right? There was three Iron Valiant in day two. Um, but I, I don't think this is like actually interesting. Um, I guess we could like jump into this right now. We could go pull up Tyler Matthews' Iron Valiant list if we want to. I mean, we could take a look at Nucci's Guardi first if we want to, because it. But there's nothing really to like talk about there good guardless good player but th so this is where i would say now this is more the player than the deck making top eight if this makes sense like 
Tyler Matthews is a pretty good player who plays some some wacky stuff uh, and is always innovating. Um, to not to say that Iron Valiant's a bad deck, but like look at this Iron Valiant list compared Iron Valiant Entei list compared to any other Iron Valiant Entei list you've ever seen. Yeah, and it's like there's so much innovation going on here. So it's definitely still Iron Valiant Entei. Um, but Tyler Matthews is always doing some interesting stuff with decks. Um, so this is like definitely where I like I credit way more the player than the deck, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, he's always doing some wacky stuff. So it's really cool to see him. Um, I think even I even saw him tweet like he was pretty hyped to get his first, you know, top eight, I believe. Um, yeah, it was his top first top eight. eight. He's gotten multiple like top 16 day two finishes. Like he was, I think, at the end of the year last season, I think he was ranked like uh, like 25 or something like that in North America. Like so he was like and there was a couple times in there that he was like really pushing for. Uh, the top 16 spot, right? But didn't quite yeah. close it out. He got a top 16 finish at EUIC. Um, but yeah, he has been a super solid, super consistent player. Definitely like one of the, like, you know, post-pandemic, you know, I would say breakouts to this point. He's like someone who I wouldn't be surprised to see, like get a tournament win at some point here in the near future. But um, yeah. And what I mean by that, when I say like, it's more like, it's always the player, like the player always is a factor. But like, I think, like Tyler Matthews can like replicate this where he's being innovative with decks after deck after deck after deck, you know, getting top eight after top eight after top eight and so on and so yeah. forth. So yeah, um, so it's just cool to see like something like it's cool to see. I think this even goes back to like when I was talking about like Ross with the Roaring Moon, like Ross's build is super cool and different. Um, and I was like, this is like, it's not like Roaring Moon is the deck. That's the factor here. Like it is, but like, I guess like it's hard to explain what I mean when I'm saying this, but like, yeah, yeah. I mean, Ross, it's like, it, it, it's the like, deck is obviously fine. Like you can't, yeah, you can't get this far if the deck is just absolutely terrible, right? But yeah, but all like uh, the little little different things in here and all the stuff like the B barrel line, the Moltres, like there's so many little things that have definitely definitely been innovated on and all have their place for like a reason. So yeah. And, but yeah. yeah, it's cool to see really cool, interesting uh builds and, and uh, these are the type of things as well that come whenever you kind of stick to a deck. This can be a merit of sticking to a deck and yeah. you know, adjusting it as the meta changes, right? You know, he's played, he's got four limitless finishes here on uh into iron valiant you know first one san antonio 165th you know day two finish but nothing amazing there actually yeah Por each one improves <laughs> portland 45th top 64 improves a little bit in charlotte 38 and then gets the top eight in knoxville when did b barrel enter the list was it at charlotte it entered oh. in charlotte yeah yeah and the i think that was definitely the big thing and he said on twitter i saw his post as well it's like uh, this deck needs some, and that that has been one of the weak point. One of the weak points of this deck for as long as it's been in the meta has been like, you get Iono at the end of the game, yep. you you got two cards to work with, and you better hope <laughs> good they're <luck>. good ones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, but Bibarel helps you a lot with that, and he said he needs oh. like non pathways to like draw cards at the end of the game, and uh, or non uh, rule box ways, right? Because like you yep. could theoretically put like a Mew X in here, get you a couple extra cards, but. And that Tina's really just help you and there's Tina's and all that stuff running around. So the Bieberel, I think, uh, definitely seems solid. And, um, you know, you can tell it's like, this is Tyler's list. Like, this is like, you know, he has crafted this and worked this to be exactly what it is. And like, so he, uh, you know, it'd be hard for someone to just pick it up right away and try to do the exact same thing. Right. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a really sick, really sick deck, really sick build, uh, really sick finish for, uh, for Tyler, for sure. Um, but yeah, we talked about Nucci's Gardevoir list a little bit. Like no you rest, said, there's nothing but... super crazy in here. The lack of Cresselia, um, but has the standard stuff you expect to see. The four path bumps. 
one research. Candy. A lot of people have been going down to like to the two rare candy, so I guess like that's something that stands out. Nothing innovative, but like as far as card counts go in Gardevoir, you know, people are going down to the two candy pretty consistently. Yeah. And then we did have Aiden Coos getting second place at the tournament. Some would argue maybe should have gotten first place, but uh, <laughs> Aiden had other plans. Aiden had other plans. <laughs> Pidgeot V had other plans. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was just game one, though, right? So, like, who knows where the rest of the set would have gone? Um, Ryan did it was win 2-0, right? interesting because... Did Ryan win 2-0 or did go to game three? I actually Ryan did win 2-0. But c- yeah. what kind of happened was is that Ryan, like was kind of like fumbling early in game two, but he got like some curlyism in play. He got himself ninjaed, but then he was able to get established from there and still like knock out uh, the Greninja. And then Iono at the same time. So it's like super unlikely that Aiden can pull off a Greninja again off of knockout plus Iono. Right. Yeah. Um, and so then he was able to get to a board where he literally had two Gardevoir EX and two Shining Arcana Gardevoir. And like stuff had just too much HP, right? Yeah. Uh, so honestly, I mean, watching that even had me thinking like, maybe that ma- this matchup is not that bad for Gardevoir. You just have to like play it like that, you know? Yeah. If you immediately respond KO the Greninja after you do the ra- the Moonlight Shuriken after trying to not bench Manaphy to play around the Mawile because you don't play Turo like Ryan didn't play the Turo, then uh, I think you win. But if they get to Greninja twice, I think you just lose. So that's kind of the And question. there was a turn where so Aiden could have uh Aiden didn't he KO'd like a Ralts and then put 90 on a Shining Arcana, I think is what he did. Hmm. And so then he had the play to be able to go Sableye Curly a plus Shining Arcana. Like he left himself that option. Yeah. But missed that turn. Hmm. The Sableye. Missed the Sableye. Um and then also missed Dragonite to Z- respond to Zacian because that's what Ryan knocked out the Greninja with was Zacian. So yeah. it's like he missed both of them. Uh, yeah, I mean, when the Iono start hitting, it becomes hard to exactly yeah pull these bigger attackers together. So yeah, as, if you're getting hit with Iono plus getting knocked out, it's, it's tough. But that's like why the deck is built the way it is, right? It's like, okay, you can't play down your Manaphy, so I'm going to disrupt your setup with Greninja by using Moonlight Shrukin. And if you do bench the Manaphy, I win with Tempting Trap. And then you just lose if the Guardi player plays Turo. So, <laughs> like, if they play Turo, you literally just lose. Um, so, yeah. Um, and this is, like, a pretty fragile strategy that is really built around what's currently in the meta. So, I don't even know how good this will be going forward now that the kind of the cat's out of the bag um, kind of deal. Like, do, if every Guardi just plays Turo, like, you're not winning against them ever. Yeah. So, do you want to talk about the differences here between your list and Aiden's list? Because you did play the same archetype, you and Caleb and Grant. Um but there is just a couple cards different here. Why don't you talk about the differences? Yeah, so the differences are no Roxanne, which um, I think like something that I feel like is de- decent to play um, and wouldn't hate to see that included in the deck. No boss, which is definitely just wrong and incorrect, but I was out. I want to make this clear. I was outvoted, um, and Grant and Caleb wanted two countercatcher and no boss. I wanted a boss. I was outvoted. There should 100% be a boss in the deck. Make sure you cut a countercatcher for a boss. Um, we didn't play the Jirachi because we weren't really afraid of the mirror match too much. Uh, and there is a lot of room to outplay the mirror or just lost zone mirrors in general. Um, as long as I say outplay, but I don't like that word. There's a lot of room for your opponent to make mistakes and for you to play well in the lost zone mirrors. 
So I didn't feel too stressed to have something like a Jirachi. Although if you do just play the Someone Jirachi, say and they playing know. better than your opponent is the same as <laughs> outplaying them, but that's fine. If you have the Jirachi and they don't, it gives you a massive advantage if you play well. So yeah, that was one of my losses in day one was going up against a loss of deck that had the Manaphy Jirachi. Um, so yeah, it can be tough to, to handle that. Um, and then we played the Echoing Horn, um, which I actually was decent a couple times for me. Um, it did give me the kind of uh, aggressive win condition against Edwin in our game one in my uh, winning in match, um, where Edwin got rid of the Greninja, put a Jirachi on the bench. And I was able to Echoing Horn the Greninja immediately. Um, but had I not had the Echoing Horn, Edwin possibly could have uh, collapsed away the Jirachi before I could counter catch or trap the Jirachi. But with Greninja and Jirachi on the bench, you can't collapse away both of them. So, um, <clears throat> so Echoing Horn was good for that. A couple other times with like some. Kyogre plays as well. So Echoing Horn is okay. But to be honest, I think I think like Aiden's list is just better. Um, and Aiden has put more time into it. It's a little bit more refined. So yeah, like I said, Countercatcher over the... Uh, or boss kind of similar to the Tyler Matthews situation, right? You know, Aiden played this yeah. deck in Charlotte. He got 33rd with it. But then he made some changes, right? Knew the deck was good. Knew it could be tweaked a little bit. And just kept, uh, you know, stuck with it. Whereas this time, it was like the first time you guys were playing the deck in a tournament, right? Yeah, I mean, I would just like cut the counter catcher for the boss and probably the echoing horn for the Roxanne. And then I don't even know where the other changes are because, like, somehow oh, there's an energy played... difference here. Aiden only played four yeah. water and three psychic. You guys played five water, two psychic, which I seems like a liked, correct split, I guess. I liked the heavy water for sure. The heavy water was pretty good. I did like there was there, like, I always had the water energy to combo for the Greninja attack, the Kyogre attack, the Dragonite attack. Um, there was some times where I, I would have liked to have raw drawn into a psychic energy to work with my sableye um but usually expending a gate there isn't like that big of a deal but always having the water energy in hand to combo with your bigger attackers was definitely pretty big so that was pretty nice um uh jirachi is like okay it just depends on how popular the lost box is and then honestly i think the pokey gear should just be a fourth nest ball like four nest balls are just too important in the deck i feel like but besides that like there's like other pokey gear definitely increases out, in so. value when you play these other two supporters though that's true and i did say with like going to those probably does make sense but you actually just don't play the game if you don't find your basics so i would still <laughs> lean towards that the fourth nest ball and also like getting your attackers in the middle of the game is like super important as well yeah. which like the nest ball can do for you uh, and the Poke Gear can be good, but if it just like whiffs your supporter, then it's not very good. But I mean, you can kind of set up a deck towards the end of the game where it's like Palpat two Colors back in the deck, use your Poke Gear, you're almost guaranteed to hit a Colors at yeah. that point. So, but yeah, I mean, I don't have like too strong of an opinion on any of those things, but play the boss. <laughs> don't not play the boss. And then looking at the rest of the top cut, we did have Ian Rob making top four with Giratina, did have the Spear Tomb in here, had the Avery Anifee. as well. Other than that, though, pretty standard stuff. Yeah, uh, I did have water. a 2 2 split of the switch cart in the switch. Yeah, only two water, had the mana fee, only three path. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different things that the, there's a lot of little things different that the Tina players are doing. I don't, I mean, I don't know fully know what's correct. I kind of like the Avery right now, though. It does feel like Guardi's pretty powerful. Maridon and Iron Hands are nowhere to be seen for the most part. Um, so to capitalize on the potential success, like Gardevoir's still only like that 8% in the meta. But to capitalize on the potential success of Gardevoir, I like the I like the Avery probably going forward in Tina and uh, Vinny played the Avery as well, right? If I'm remembering correctly. I think Vinny. Uh, yes, yes, Vinny did try the Avery. Yeah. yeah. And we, we got, got. I mean, if Moon is this popular, if it's twenty percent of day two, there better be some in top eight. And there was a couple. Yep. 
Marzan. Marzan loves playing aggressive decks, bro. He like does. He does. <laughs> his lists are always a super aggressive. I mentioned this when I looked at all the lists earlier on my stream today, and I was like, bro, this doesn't surprise me. Four catcher, four trekking shoes. Like, where's the Maridon deck that Marzan played? Not that long ago. Is that, Forever is that ago. Game? This was like before yeah. Maridon was good. You yeah, know? dude, like, look at this. Nobody this was so... playing Maridon at this point. <laughs> this is so aggressive, bro. It was insane, dude. Three Mysterious Tale Mew, Cross Switchers, like... Yeah. He played another... Was it a... I think it was this deck. Yeah, this deck. He was like one of the mm. early adopters of this, like Palkia Raikou type thing. Uh, He... I think he was on stream whenever this he played this deck. This one was a wild one too that was super aggressive. Yeah, so I wasn't surprised to see like a super aggressive build from Marzon to be honest. And uh, to be honest, I don't know what the best way to play Roaring Moon is, but like, I mean, I feels like you can't go wrong with Pokemon catchers right now. Yeah, um, I think and... catchers from talking to Roaring Moon players that was kind of the like secret to the Charizard matchup. Yeah, get that Rotom KO the Rotom as your first two prize cards if yeah. you can. If not. Hit him with more Peko and hit him with Judge, which I think was the other thing that we saw people including was that Judge. All of them um, uh, telling me that just made me instantly think like, okay, so like if I play Charizard, I just like shouldn't bench my Rotom now, right? I mean, you got to bench it to play the game a lot of the time, though. Like you don't just get to. I mean, it's pretty good a lot of the time. It's not like have to play the game type status, but. You're saying we go back to Bib Evozard? I don't think they can handle Bib Evozard. Then. That yeah, is no, true. <laughs> and there is a little bit of a split right now in Japan as well as to, you know, with the new set, what's doing well. Yeah. Yeah, maybe Bib Evozard is pretty good, honestly. Another thing about Marzon's list is like whenever I look at, I looked at, because I looked at all the lists, there's quite a few Roaring Moon lists out there with just two trekking shoes. Uh, JW was one of them. And JW was in my chat. And I was like, bro, two trekking shoes? What's going on here? And JW was telling me, no, it's 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 correct. Trust me. You're capping it. <laughs> Dude, Azul, let me give a little Marzon. backstory here, by the way. Because Azul just, like, does not like trekking shoes. He's, like, basically just never not cars. shoes. <laughs> Anytime they played Turbo Lost Box, there was, like, a Turbo Lost Box deck that they played uh, last year. so bad. And they played trekking shoes in them. Grant has always loved trekking shoes. Azul is like, I just want to play real cards. I don't want to play these trekking shoes. Give me like things that do stuff, right? Yeah, more things that do stuff. Like when I end the game and I can't win because I don't have a third Pokemon catcher, just like cut a trekking shoes for a third Pokemon catcher. Like give me that third Pokemon catcher. Um, but yeah, JW says the two trekking shoes are are it. Trust. Um, I think two trekking shoes seems kind of sus. But like Marzon's list, when you look at it with the four trekking shoes, it looks so clean. It looks like it fits, right? But you look mm -hmm. at something like this, and it's like, what's going on here? There's a little, yeah, little bit of this, a little switch, bit of that. Three Ultra Ball, one Jelly. Like, yeah, it's a third trekking shoes in there, bro. Give me a, or not third trekking shoes. Give me a third Pokemon catcher. Cut the shoes. Give me a third catcher at least, please. Yeah, I definitely like Marzon's list. He wasn't the only Moon in top eight, though. We also did have Kamal, Crooks Valdez, and this is just the Ross list. Yeah, it's literally just the Ross 60, which. There's also just three popular. trekking shoes in here. How do we get the fourth trekking shoes in here, though? That's the real question. How do we get it in here? Cut the jelly, but you need the jelly. Um, we can cut an energy switch, put fourth trekking shoes in. Sure. There we go. Uh, but yeah, the literally just the raw sixty. Cut a moon. Um, no, you can't cut a moon. They get milled by stop all the time. You need yeah. the fourth one, dude. They are addicted to poke stop. They, they roaring moon is the biggest Pokemon Go player out there, dude. Wait, what do you mean? Oh, because they're <laughs> spinning the, the Pokestops, bro. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of Pokemon the Go enjoyers. His head. Well, yeah, at first I had no idea what you were saying. I was like, Roy Moon is popular in Pokemon Go? Or 
Is it even? I don't a, think it is even a Pokemon. Go. Yeah, will it eventually? It will eventually, right? Everything will eventually. Uh, but yeah, the raw sixty, tried and true. I mean, how many people made day two with the raw sixty? Let's take a look at it. This is the new. Uh, this is the new Reagan Lugia deck. Yeah, no kidding. It was three in Knoxville, two in Melbourne. Yeah. Oh wait, there's two more there. It's three, four, five. Two oh, it's because it goes by place. placement. It goes by placement. Oh yeah, because yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're all in the same weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So another plus another seven over the weekend for the Ross 16. Dang, bro. Jesse Parker had the two shoes, two catcher sauce from JW and just was like, nah, I'm playing Ross's list. Damn. More faith in the Ross 60. Dang. JW Trouble did in Paradise, him, boys? What's going on? <laughs> JW did one up him, though. So I think uh, <laughs> JW gets the yapping privileges for sure. going to chirp up Jesse. Oh, uh, that's like the worst thing, though, is to give JW yapping privileges. <laughs> 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 I mean, dude, I was literally talking to Mahone at the airport, and he was like, you know what? We had been working on Roaring Moon. Um, it was looking good. And I switched back to Mew, and then it do very well. And I was like, bro, you got to trust the process here. Now they're going to be chirping you, bro. They're going to be chirping you about the moon. He's like, yep, I got to concede on this one. They got it. Moon was correct. I shouldn't have played Mew. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of different, a lot of different like ways people. Are. I, I think we'll. I don't. I think this might be the end of the raw sixty. To be honest, um, it did a good job. It did good. It did good. You know, it's like that. Yeah, now, now people, it, it got people on the right path, right? And then yeah. now people will branch out. You know, depending it, on the, the meme, the Ninja Turtle meme, where it's like <laughs> Ross Splinter, with all the little, all yeah. the little turtles are all bringing the, the raw sixty. And now they're gonna grow up and like you know do their own innovations to it and take it on from there. Um. And then what else do we have in here in top eight? I think it was the last one was just Jackson Ford, right? It's the only other one we haven't taken a look at. Oh, we had Raymond Long with the Guardi as well. Yeah, we looked at um, it pretty quickly. And then Jackson Ford with the Tina. But I don't think I don't remember if there's anything too crazy in Jackson's build. See here. Three waters, spirit tomb, no mana fee. Yeah, nothing ridiculous. Three three path. Three path. Looks like people are pretty committed to the three path. Um at least over here in uh america because if we go over to melbourne oh do you find the meme yeah bro there it is yeah you're you're a little slow on getting this one well i was looking at the other limitless thing but oh yeah you're good yeah um but yeah if we go over to melbourne we see uh brent tonneson back-to-back finals in two weeks cross uh cross the what is it cross continents, continents. yeah cross continents that's got to be tough traveling but did play the same deck so didn't have to figure too much else out but I feel like uh, a deck that constantly puts you in the blender, though. Yeah, and I feel like Brent did concede here. Pokey Gears in the list now gets second, adds the Pokey Gears. He tried to kind of defend himself a little bit on Twitter. I don't know if you saw. No, I didn't. That's like why he did or did not play Pokey Gears before or after. Was this before the dub or or after? No, it was after the dub. He said, "Hang on." Um, I'll find it. Oh, yeah. Grat, uh, yeah, because Benji just he posted his list. Rank one global now, by the way, fourth Ooh, okay. highest all time earner. Uh, Benji said Grats and Pokey Gears, and Brent said they were kind of good, but it was probably the higher comfy odds that carried. What does that even mean? Like uh, hitting better comfies, I think. Like oh, just like having better comfies overall. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, Brent. <laughs> Anyways, Pokey Gears goaded apparently. Man, maybe uh <laughs> Yeah, I wonder the, the the last the last was it the last what's it called to fall? The last domino to fall? Is that the saying? Mm-hmm. Will Alberto be playing 
Pokey Gears Ooh. or Iono's this Facts. week in Dortmund. That's the last, the last, <laughs> last Iono uh, player standing. Will the gears be? Uh, will the Iono's be out? Will the gears be in for Alberto? I'm actually curious to see that. To be honest, it's always curious to see. Like, I think he tweeted something too about that. Um, there is like a correct way to play the deck, right? There's an optimal Giratina 60, and it is always curious to see like these really good, you know, uh, these really good players, Brent, uh, Bradner, Ian, Rob. Um, all these really good players playing Tina, they are kind of starting to come to a consensus on what seems to be a better way to play the deck. But I'm going to be honest, I actually like Brent's list better. I like the four path. I like the four nest ball. Um, double counter catcher, I can kind of go either way on, to be honest. But And I guess like Poke Gears are correct. But those are like the things that when I look at like Brent's list that is like standing out a little bit different from others is like the four nest ball, the four paths of the peak. Like, those are two things that I really like that uh, that Brent's been playing. Well, before we get too much into Melbourne, let's do a recap real quick of our predictions for Knoxville. Knoxville. Oh, true. We did have those. Yes. Yeah. You know, we have this little document here that I make every week that yep, like yep. Uh, gives us the order of, you know, when we talk and about And the first things. one was, will Giratina make another finals appearance this weekend? Of course, this is across the two events. Yeah. Knoxville and Melbourne. And the answer was yes, because Brent Tonneson came through, uh, clutched up, and made it to the finals and got the victory. Yeah, and Azul did predict yes. I predicted no, unfortunately. I, as always with Giratina, am one of little faith. Um, I will say, <laughs> if you watched the stream this weekend uh, in Knoxville, you would have a pretty hard time wanting to play Giratina, I think, based on uh, the starts that all of the Giratina players... Giratina, I don't know if it won a game on stream all weekend. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Well, yeah, the deck is... The deck does... It's not a very aggressive deck. It, it's a comeback deck. But yeah. when decks are too aggressive, the Maridons, the Roaring Moons, when those decks get popular enough, Tina's in trouble. And I think that's one of the things that held Tina back a little bit here in Knoxville. Roaring Moon was everywhere, right? Like, yeah. it was the most popular deck in day two, second most popular deck day one. Uh, yeah, a lot of good players playing it. That's always going to be a big factor, right? Are the good players, the better players in the game, going to actually pick up the deck, though? And I think that's one of the things that why we saw a little bit of a lack of success of, from Charizard, despite it being the most popular deck day one. Um, you had people like Caleb Rogerson playing the deck again, but like, I mean, <clears throat> Rogerson like can't carry the deck by himself, right? So like, if it's, it really does come down to who is playing the deck, not just how popular the deck is. I think Charizard's a really good example of that. Like Charizard's a really good deck, but I mean, if, you get, if no one's going to be playing well enough with it to, to pilot it compared to what everyone else playing well with all these other decks, then it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, right? Our next prediction was highest placing Arceus deck, and I'm scrolling down here. I think it was Landon Kettler at 38th. That's a top 64 finish. Azul predicted top 32. Mm. I predicted top 16. I am getting cooked on the predictions this week. You know why there wasn't one in top 32, right? What's up? None of them played the Radiant Charizard. I went through all the lists. <laughs> Plenty of them with six fire energy. Quite a few yeah. people had six fire energy. Makani? Six fire energy. Where's the Radiant Charizard, Makani? I guarantee if you had played the Radiant Charizard, easy at least top 32. But I think Makani is breaking up with Arceus. <laughs> is this it? Is this the end? I mean, he, uh... Roaring Moon is Roaring Moon being this top popular is tough for it, to be honest. Unless you're going to path cheese him. That's like your only win condition, I feel like. Jeez. Let me see what he, he tweeted something. Is he just joking, though? It sounds like I mean, Makani's a big memer, so. I guess would be he said he said uh, 68 out of 1300 
Lost my winning into 32 by bricking you twice. Lost the winning Pretty in. upset with my finish and my draws, considering I bricked more despite adding consistency. Bubbling out of top 64 doesn't help either. Not a good tourney. I'm getting sick of these draws and this deck. Is he done? Is he going to hang it up? I mean, you got to get bored at some point. There's VIP passes in this Arceus deck. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I got a feeling I know why you did, Drew, buddy. Uh, well, I mean, you'd hope that. I mean, I assume that not finding basics was the problem, right? Well, but at the two previous tournaments, no VIP passes, sixth into ninth. But the VIP passes, like, because you've only got three of them, and you're not choosing to go second with this deck, right? So it's like, yes, you're technically yeah. adding ways to, like, Find basic book see more one. basics on turn one, but, you know, you're only adding three. Like, how often is that really increasing your percentages compared to how often are you playing an Iono? Because you play four Iono and then drawing into one or two VIP pass in the middle of the game and just not having anything through. to work with. And through through B-Barrel. Like, this is almost like max consistency. You can't, like, go too much further than this, to be honest. Mm. Well, at least, like, for hoping to set up, I guess. But I don't know. There's not that many draw supporters. There's only five draw supporters. You need to find those radiant Charizard. Still no Radiant Charizard as well. Like, that's definitely an L. Um, yeah, actually, yeah, Makati was on a uh, pretty good streak there, right? Six Radiant Charizard makes sense to not play in this deck, by the way, because there's four Path to the Peak in it. You also play two Vacuum. Like, and also... Some of the decks you play up against, if they're not bumping path, you're winning. But if they're bumping your path, we're attacking with Radiant Charizard. Okay. Literally genius. Just got it all figured out, buddy. Said, give it one more shot, Akani. Why don't you, you play Arceus? Nope. Put the Radiant Charizard <laughs> in. Give it one more shot. Trust me on this one. But you've got it all figured out. Well, not quite. Not and then our last prediction Arceus. was over under the amount of Forest Seal Stones in top eight. Between the two tournaments, between Melbourne and Knoxville, we put the line at 8.5. We both took the over, and Azul did the math. The over hit. Yes? Yeah, there was 10 four seal stones across both tournaments in top eights. Which, if uh, you had told me that there was going to be zero Mew in top cut, I would have probably taken the under, right? Because yeah. there was zero Mew. But it has to be the fact that Roaring Moon was so popular, right? Like, Two of those in top eight of Knoxville, and they play two apiece. Yeah, and then Tyler Matthews with the the Entei deck of two of those in there, um, and then Aiden with two as well. So that's the eight coming from Knoxville, and then over in Melbourne, uh, there was two: one with Haru with the Charizard, and one with Tim Franklin with the Lost Pile. So ten total across the two events. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of four seal stones. Pretty good card though, right? Yeah, for sure. And speaking of Melbourne, we can hop back over and keep going through that tournament. We talked about Brent's list. Let's take a look at Haru's list. Haru, uh, you know, he's getting close to like uh, owning Australia. It feels like, you know, like he's just got to <laughs> come away with a dub. I mean, he's just he's got two seconds here, two tournaments. He's How just many... taking down the kangaroos and the, you know, flesh eating spiders and stuff like that and coming away with. You know, the CP, uh, the championship point heist. Yeah, the only thing Haru forgot to do was be able to beat Brent Tonneson's list. But yeah. that is Azul's golden rule <laughs> of playing in a tournament in Australia. That is one of the th one of the three. Um, there's going to be one more shot. Though. I was actually curious. There's Parth Regionals in April. So Haru will have one final shot um, to own Australia. Because, yeah. Has literally made the finals of the first. That would actually be sick. That'd be a sick run from Haro to make the finals at all three Australian uh, regionals. Yeah. I honestly, honestly, I hope he gets there. That'd be sick. Um, but yeah, Charizard again for Haru has been a Charizard gamer recently. 
um, and was playing basically the 60 uh, that uh, Cato played to Liverpool. Uh, and Cato and Haru were playing the exact same 60 here in Melbourne. Um, and Cato got 10th. So uh, not too, I don't know how many Japanese players were there. I think it was like four or five, um, but pretty good showing from from Japan over in Melbourne. Just in Are general. they allergic to Arvin in Japan? Yeah, they're doing like the, the lighter Arvin count, which I don't actually dislike, to be honest. Um, it's interesting because uh, like it's really it's a really powerful card. But they're definitely as the game progresses, if you end up with an Arvin, it's like, OK, I'll use Arvin. But I feel like you'd prefer to like sure. play an Iona or something. So sure. early game, it's really good. When you need a specific item, it's really good. But almost every other time, you'd prefer to have like an Iono. They are down research. one supporter overall, though, with this count, right? Um, compared to what Kato was. Oh, you mean just saying? But like, yeah, compared overall, to like no. the normalized American list. More basic Pokemon search, though, right? They are yeah. this heavy nest ball count. I'm glad to see the level ball in there because that's one thing I definitely did not like about Kato's list from Liverpool was the 100 HP Charmeleon with three nest balls, but you could just like cut a nest ball for a level ball and play the 90 HP Charmeleon. I think that makes a big difference. Also, Kato did not play Luminion in Liverpool, but we see that they added that back in here for uh, Melbourne. Luminion's back. Uh, I guess the, the biggest thing that I, uh, the biggest thing that out, another big thing that stands out to me is the only the four stadium bumps with you know Tina not being the most popular deck, but being one of the highest, the most successful decks. And like it seems like a deck you have to beat to win tournaments right now is is Lost Tina. Sure, um, that was definitely interesting to me to see the another Black thing Club, Lost City or like Second Artisan. Another thing as well is there's no mirror tech, right? There's no TMD yeah. though. There's no justified gloves. We even um, saw some American players playing both of those. Yeah, and we saw I think Chevelle, uh Isaiah Chevelle, uh played double TM Devo in uh yeah. his build in Knoxville. Um so yeah, I mean I did talk about this on my stream as well when I was going through the list. I was just like I mean, one of the things right now, like I mentioned, like it, like the better players in the game are not choosing to play Charizard. And if they aren't, maybe it's fine to kind of sacrifice that tech card for the mirror and just let your play be the difference maker, right? In the in the mirror matches. Or maybe Kato and Haru really feel like it doesn't make a difference in the mirror. Um, yeah, maybe they actually feel like the mirror match is not decided by Justify Gloves or TM Devo. And just, uh, you know, it doesn't make a big enough factor to actually include. Um, that could be a, a situation as well where they don't really believe that it makes that big of a difference. But um, yeah, so Zard still had some success. Lack of success, like I mentioned in Knoxville. Uh, overall, I feel like a lack of success for how popular it was, but it did show up pretty well in Melbourne. Natalie Miller got top four with a Guardi list that has no worker, still has four path bumps, though, has two artisan and one collapse VIP. plus the vacuum. No VIP and has three reversal energy. Yeah. Um, I think Natalie gave a shout out to Fouché. I think Fouché played something similar to this in Charlotte. Um, and yeah, it's a no VIP. I just don't know if it, I honestly just don't know if it makes it. When I played the no VIP versus VIP build, I've definitely missed VIP. And I don't know if like the couple little extra cards you get here are actually worth the, the no VIP. Like you get the third reversal energy, you have room for like Turo, but then it's like two of the VIP slots are going to like the second artisan and the fog crystal, right? Like and most people like Ultra Ball, like yeah. So it's just going to more Pokemon search that is useful throughout the game as opposed to only being good turn one. But is that extra turn one consistency worth it? I actually just I feel like my my testing and my play with both builds has led me to believe no. Um, but we do still see this no VIP list pop up and do well from time to time. That's what Rowan was playing as well. Got top 16 in Knoxville. Rowan was playing no VIP pass. Now we see Natalie over here, top eight uh, or top four, no VIP pass. 
and there's definitely less people playing the no VIP pass list as well. So as far as its success goes, it's maybe comparable to the VIP pass lists, to be honest. Because there's so many less people playing it. We did see Christian here got top four with a similar Tina list. Nothing crazy here. Does have the Iono, only one counter catcher, two water Tony's energy. Warpath. Yeah, nothing crazy. Yeah, has the spirit tomb. Um Tim Franklin with a lost box deck. It is like a hybrid lost zone deck almost. Uh the paradox box, plus still having the Dragonite as a strong attack option. Yeah, so this is an interesting one. Um, so this is actually Dean Nazim's build or similar to it from Charlotte. Um, I think uh oh, Tim same got 60. it from oh, same 60 actually. And it looks like Dean played the same 60 in Knoxville. I thought Dean changed some things from Charlotte to Knoxville. Yeah, so <clears throat> I was actually joking with Dean at knoxville that if you don't do well enough at knoxville dean this is going to be tim's deck because tim will have tim will have the first top mm. eight with it so you better watch out because tim uh, tim was like 801 going into day two of melbourne i was like dean you better watch out it's not gonna be your deck anymore and uh yeah tim box get farmed dean <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i don't know i don't know about this built it just like has a lot of powerful attackers right yeah. it's very reliant on mirage gate um, that's a little bit scary, especially when Iron Hands gets involved. And no Raihan is uh, interesting as well. Because I did like, whenever I watched someone play the the Glasses build of Lost Box, it seems mm -hmm. like Raihan is very um, powerful in that deck because of Iron Hands and all these Mirage Gate attacks. Well, it lets you make an Iron Hands while only using one yeah. Mirage Gate, right? Exactly, yeah. Um, but there's a lot of, to be honest, the one thing I do like about this is there's a lot of, like, of the cards you want there's four super rod you need super rods there's nine switch cards uh and then actually there's 11 basic energy which is more basic energy than my group or aiden coos played in the kyogre builds uh yeah. <laughs> there's more energy in this build than uh than those uh, than the kyogre builds um but you want energy you want to be attaching for turn you want to be able to be using greninja um you want to be able to sometimes hold on to certain types of energy for attachments later on to combo with mirage gate um, so it gives you like a lot of flexibility with having so many so many outs to all of these important cards like i said the switch cards uh the energy is important for super odd for nest ball um yeah you just have a lot of all the stuff you want um and actually like uh, mentioned is uh, I think I mentioned it to, to you before the before we started, but you could literally fit Kyogre in here if you yeah. cut one card. Like a Super Rod becomes a recycler, and you cut one other card, and you can put Kyogre in here, no problem. So I don't know, maybe that's like maybe that should be added to the deck. I actually just don't know. Give you a little bit more stuff to do into against like Maridon and um, uh, Roaring Moon, so give you some more lines in those matchups. But yeah, it's it's very close to just putting. It's very close to just being uh, a Kyogre deck as well. A Kyogre it's pretty hard to. Well, I guess it's fine because the matchups that you want to iron hands, you usually don't want to also Kyogre in, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it'd be up against like because those are Roy two Moon very like you need a Mirage Gate at the end of the game for Kyogre, right? Uh, but Iron Hands eats up two Mirage Gates to use it. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, the Iron Hands is more so good against like Gardevoir and stuff like that, or Mirror yeah. Match. Um, and you're not Kyogre in either of those matchups. Yeah, I could see it, honestly. And there was a list. We didn't talk about any like additional lists in Knoxville, but I did like Nathan Ginsburg's list. He played basically what you're describing. You know, he had Iron Hands plus Roaring Moon yep. plus Mawile and Kyogre. 
Yeah. So I mean, I'd, I'd maybe cut back on the Mawile stuff a little bit, but yeah, it does kind yeah, of. Yeah. Do you even to... need like like you were saying, right? Like Mawile is less good now that it's kind of a known quantity, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely way less good. And now then something no like quantity. Iron Hands can boost your Gardevoir matchup, where that's where what Mawile was really being put in this deck for, right? Yeah. So yeah, I think like the the Gardevoir and Charizard matchup can pretty easily fix their Mawile problem, um, just by playing Turo. Like if both of them just add Turo, you just fix your problem like pretty much instantly. Um. Yeah, and then maybe Mawile's I think. But how how far down to the rabbit hole? How far down the rabbit hole do we go? Well, if they're gonna All play the way, Turo. Baby. Then we're gonna cut the Mawiles. Wait, but if I'm playing Turo and they cut the Mawiles, I cut my Turo. Mawile is also pretty important for the Charizard matchup, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Charizard can just add Turo as well instead of like a switch. Yeah. Um, also, like switch, switch plus collapsed. Um, or yeah. if you only play one Mawile, switch plus Lost City for Charizard answers the Mawile. Now I think I was actually only my group and Aiden who played went down to the one Mawile, predicting the lack of Lost City in Charizard, whereas it feels like. Um, Everyone else pretty much still had the double Mawile in there. So a lot of people were still playing the double Mawile. But yeah, if enough of the decks just have the answer to Mawile, is it even worth playing the Mawile stuff anymore? It's a bit of a toss-up between the two regionals, I think, as to which of the two decks was more surprising to see in top cut. Is it Tyler Matthews' anti-Iron Valiant, or is it Nigel Tan's Lugia deck? And to be honest, when you look at this Lugia deck, uh, this is literally just colorless Lugia. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it's like, has the Radzard. Has a Luxray. The only thing new here is Cobalion. Um, and it is a triple Burnett build, which is kind of cool. Um, so the Burnets are cool, right? Like, that's a cool little thing going on there. But yeah, it literally just is Colorless Lugia. It's not even, like, the Iron Hands, like, the Alex Geisler Iron Hands, Shaman, yep. Shenanigans Lugia. It's just Colorless Lugia. Snorlax? I mean, if Tina's going to be this successful, hey, Snorlax is pretty good. This, this build is really good against Tina. Like, you just destroy Tina. It's not even remotely close. Um, oh yeah, and Lugia has always been pretty solid against most of the Lost Zone stuff, right? Um, yeah, yes, the yeah, answer is yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. In general, um, yeah, in general, the only time it was like ever iffy was when they played like a Temple of Sinnoh, and it was like single strike Lugia. Uh, but that's like it. But as as long as it's ever been colors, Lugia, it's always like pretty one sided. Single strike was closer, but still favorable. Longshow was a big fan of Lugia. He played it at the challenge this weekend, and he was he and I were like going back and forth about it constantly. He was like, "Lugia's still good, man. Trust me." Is that just colorless? It is just colorless. It's just hey, colorless the bundle. Lugia. Hey, let's he's got the bundy. He's got a couple great balls. He's got two professors' research. I don't know about that one. Only one Burnett. Dude, how one are we Burnett-y. getting our Pokemon in our discard pot? Oh, there's you at least a Squawk, I guess. Yeah, we got Squawk. We got Ultra Ball. We got Aromas. Great balls. No man's a goza. Bro, these Lugia players are getting greedy and getting away with it, bro. <laughs> what the heck is this? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't know where Lugia I I've been like saying that um I mean just I, wait I, for if you want to play Lugia, just wait for the new set. Just wait for Chinchino. I mean, I don't know, that might be more of a meme than anything. We'll have to wait and see Dude, on that. It could are be you good. kidding me? It's another stage one in your deck. It does 350 damage. <laughs> and then it dies to the next chinchino iron hands and then it dies to the next chinchino plus iono do i have to say it yeah third iron hands you're making a third iron hands as a hey, future box baby future box oh. we got it all <laughs> no dude you're not gonna make a third iron hands in future box because you're freaking spending three turns to attack with the stupid little maridon don um yeah i don't know i, I think like like lugia like lugia plus archaeops is broken and 
I don't think they're not going to uh, print special energy between now and Lugia's rotation. So. I think the biggest downfall for Lugia post rotation right now is this rotates Professor Burnett. We can survive the lack of we're playing. We have Master Ball or whatever. That is kind of crazy to see. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was looking at what is it? Joe Bernard tweeted something about the A specs and stuff like that. Uh, I honestly think it's kind of crazy, but you love to see it. Uh, it does seem like Prime Catcher is good, but not as popular as people thought. Yeah, um, I think it is still definitely the best. The best, yeah, for sure. But we're seeing maximum stuff like, belt. That's a lot of damage, you know. Yeah, we see that popping up in some decks. The Prime the Catcher is still cape. number one. But yeah, we see the Cape, the Master Ball. Um, we're seeing a little bit of everything, and of course, obviously, the future and Ancient One are like kind of restricted to the future and Ancient decks, but uh. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping that everyone who is like freaking out about Prime Catcher is wrong. Cause I wasn't freaking out. I was like, let's just wait and see. It's good. It's obviously good. It's gonna be tough to beat, but let's just wait and see what happens. Um You kind of freaked out a little bit. No, I didn't freak out at all. Well, let's take a little bit of time here to talk about the Singapore Regional League before we move on, because we gotta get rolling here. Um, pretty big tournament that happened down in Singapore. Three hundred and eight players. And it was dominated by Giratina, it looks like. I mean, the top three decks, it's all Giratina. Yeah, pretty cringe, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know, a lot of Giratinas. And even it's even like weird to see, because like, there was three Sablezards, which is like generally has a pretty good Tina matchup. What about this um, list from Dion Lee? Um, He's got the Mimikyu and the Ditto. It's a Mimikyu 4. I don't know. Ooh, it doesn't help that, you against Roaring Moon. Is that good against Charizard? You can sit there and like ping him for 70, and they can't hit you back? Yeah, it probably is pretty decent against Charizard, honestly. I can't imagine what else it's good against, right? Like, what else would it be good against Charizard, right? Iron right hands, on. Oh, does it stop Iron, iron hands? hands? Yeah, yeah. Escape yeah. rope? I could, that's the only thing I think. <laughs> Dion, um, of course, got top eight at Worlds this year uh, and won yeah. the Singapore like national tournament. Got a top four here. Yeah, so Tina dominates. Um, Baridon is right there though, not too far behind. And there were some, there were some interesting ones in the uh, Anti Iron Valiant, the Golden Go, Cloth. Yeah, there's a couple, a little bit of everything up here, to be honest. A little bit of everything. Yeah, similar to what we see everywhere else, really, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely for sure, for sure. And also, actually, I kind of uh, making this realization. There's, is there a little bit of a standardization around what is the best Sablezard list to play? Because if you look at the Sablezard lists. Uh, seems like everyone's just copying the Alex Shemansky build uh, from Charlotte. It does look like that, yeah. yeah. It is looking that way. It is looking that way. A little bit just lower play level of a deck, right? Yeah, yeah, But yeah, if you want to pick up Sablezard, this is definitely the place to be, I think. Um, I, don't, I mean, the Cameraman list is cool, too, but that's just a bit different. It feels like this might be... Yeah, almost no one's adopted the, the Cameraman build. Honestly... To be honest, if I was going to play Sablezard, I wouldn't want to play the Cameraman build anyways uh, as well. It's just like, why do I want to play a Sablezard list with four Mirage Gate? Like, that doesn't sound like I'm playing Sablezard. It sounds like I'm playing uh, Mirage Gate at that point. Like, it just feels like the same deck. I'm trying to play something a little bit different here. Not to say Cameraman's build is bad, but yeah. I'm trying to play Sablezard. I'd want to play, like, the, the Sablezard that I know. I don't know. Any other decks across the three tournaments this weekend that we haven't talked about that you think are worth bringing up? Anything else spicy or interesting? No, I think that kind of covers everything. But there was um, a little bit of uh, Chim Pao in day two of yeah, Knoxville, up, right? Uh, I'm short again. Honestly, I think the Moon matchup is like 
They're just more aggressive. Moon is just more aggressive. So it can be tough to overcome that two that two two prize trade um, consistently with Chien Pao. Chien Pao's kind of I think Chien Pao's waiting for a rotation plus the new set to be honest. Yeah, be kind of crazy when we get there though. Yeah, Chien Pao is looking definitely solid post rotation. The Buddy Poffin, the Ditto, get your Chien Pao. Let's get it. Prime Catcher you can play hands, Prime Catcher and Canceling Cologne all in the same deck now. Like that's, that's yikes. Pretty that's pretty good. But then why is that not dominating? Why is Charizard dominating in Japan? They don't have the broken list. They're probably only playing three <laughs> Nest Ball. Azul is mega uh, Chien Pao believer over here. <laughs> as long as it's, it's a good list, bro. Everyone's lists are whack. We had Little Dark Fury on the Golden Go making it to top 32. Yeah, the Dingus squeaking in there. Um, yeah. Honestly, it's really cool to see Golden Go actually end up being like a solid meta deck. It's nothing great. Right, like it has like too many bad matchups, I think, to be like a real contender for like top eights and stuff. Um, Gets a little really better cool. post rotation, maybe. Yeah, maybe it's really cool to see it push for these like top thirty twos and stuff, though, pretty consistently for sure. Um, nice to have those kind of decks existing in the meta. Which honestly, a deck that was kind of actually one thing to kind of point out: Rapid Strike's done, man. I mean, I guess Moon's popularity has kind of put put the nail in the coffin, but it felt like before Moon was getting popular, Rapid Strike was on its way out. And I think now with um, Moon getting as popular as it is, I think it's it. It's cooked. Get it out of yeah. here. No longer. Like, I'm taking it off my... I'm not putting it in my tier list anymore. Yeah. Like, I mean, I it wasn't yeah, even Cre in the Crackler's top. Like the Crackler's yeah. like the final... Uh, the last soldier or whatever. He's the captain going down with his ship, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it feels also, pretty wait, shocked, one more though. thing before we move on. Um, what's up with Control? Control did not have a very good weekend. Moon, bro. I mean, Tina's success rate is super high, and then Moon. Moon is a bad match. I, I think, I think Control would rather play. I, I had a discussion with this in my chat actually. Some people felt differently that Moon had a better control matchup. I think Tina has a better control matchup than Moon does because Moon you can just like open Billy or something and you're just screwed, um, off the rip. But there's nothing you can open with in Tina where you just lose instantly, right? You can still play every single game against Control. But if Control catches like like Billy or or Morpeko or anything, you just lose the game, right? Um. So yeah, I think Moon's popularity is is kind of doing it. And although I don't, Cal Connor wasn't there. How had Cal Connor been at the event? We could have seen Facts. the control in top eight, but it's possible. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we can move on from the tournaments of this weekend. And before we get into our Dortmund meta chat and uh, Paldean Fates chat as well, because that will be legal this weekend uh we do of course have to take a moment to thank our amazing sponsor dragon shield for supporting us here at the uncommon energy podcast dragon shield makes some of the best card gaming and tabletop gaming products and accessories on the market including sleeves binders deck boxes and so much more i gotta give a small call out as well to the uh, the Dragon Shield cube shells because I ran my cube this past weekend for the first time in forever, actually. So every time I do my cube, I make a, a challenge bracket on my phone uh, for us to play. And the last challenge bracket I made was at NAIC, dude. I had not drafted my cube since NAIC. That's crazy. It's pretty wild. I can't even remember the last time. Wait, did I cube with you at NAIC? No, I don't, think, I don't so. think so. You've not been a big cuber recently. It's just like it's always so late and I'm so tired. I just don't have the mental energy to cube. But like if, if you catch me on like a Sunday at an IC. 
yeah, I'm flying sure. home. I'm flying home. You won't catch me Cuban. That's <laughs> what I'm saying, dude. You're you're trying to leave nowadays on Sundays. But that is definitely a great product. It was like like I like those little things, like those little quality of life things, uh, are like like some of my favorite stuff. So like when I saw you had those with your cube, I was like, oh, these are kind of sick. But yeah, huge shout out to Dragon Shield as always. I was rocking the tangerines again as always, almost as always. Uh, but I only actually have a couple of boxes of tangerines left, so I want to switch it up here soon. <laughs> oh, um, or get some more. No, they, I already got some Auroras in. They hooked me up with the restock. I got the Auroras now. So the Auroras are where I'm going. I got one more tournament of tangerines, maybe two. And then the uh, the Auroras are going to be where it's at. So, um, but yeah, shout out to Dragon Shield as always uh, for sponsoring the podcast, everything we do over here. Really appreciate that from them. Check them out, dragonshield.com. Use our code. <clears throat> Uh, was it UE Pod? I always forget it. I don't know why. I'm always about to say EU, but I'm like, it's not EU. <laughs> UE Pod. So five percent off and support us. Link, of course, in the description here. If you're over on the YouTube channel, it's in the description of the podcasts as well. I don't even know there was a description for those things. There is also in the description. You can tell who handles podcast. these things. Yes. Um, but yeah. Up next, we got guess that flavor text. It's my turn to pick a card for Chip to try and guess. Which Pokemon belongs to the flavor text I'm about to read? Um, and if Chip gets the Pokemon correctly for the card that the flavor text is associated with, yep, you're Chip doing a good four job. Points, here. But for each lifeline that Chip uses, Chip uh. will get one less point. And the lifelines are what set the card is from, which stage the card is, and then read an attack name off the card. Chip, are you ready for this week's flavor text? I am ready. I feel like we need to, we should just like write a script or something for this because like, I feel like we always both both of us like I'm very guilty of this like stumble through like the explanation of what guess that flavor text is and it's like different every time you know. Um, I mean, I guess. I know, just a small thought I had. Go ahead, Azul, hit me with it so I can get it right. All right, I had a slight realization that this one might be easier for you than. Uh, oh, it's probably not too thought. easy. Why don't you just give it another shot? All right, we'll go ahead and go with it though. A Pokemon with a persistent nature it chases its chosen prey until the prey becomes exhausted. Pokemon with a persistent nature chases its prey until its prey becomes exhausted. Yep. Say it again. That was it. That was it. With what kind of nature? Persistent. Persistent nature. It's a persistent Pokemon. Chases okay. its chosen prey. It's chosen prey. So it, it gets to pick. Yeah, for like sure. Prey specifically. Um, yeah, I'm going to need some help here. I mean, that's yes, interesting will. that you said it was so easy. Let me go with what set the card is from. That's pretty much my go-to. I, I wonder when the last time was I picked something besides what set the card was from right off the rip. This is why I think it'll be easy, but I guess on the flip side, it could be really, really hard. Uh, Kalos starter set. Oh, yes, that is helpful. Um, Does make it easy or hard, though? My guess was easy. Yeah, I'm trying to. <laughs> I think there's, hmm, Callister. The thing is, is that there that this exact card probably exists in XY base set as well. Most of the Callister starter set cards are cards that exist elsewhere. Hmm. Um, it's like a reprint. So the Callister starter even, set. I don't even know what this is. There so. were three little mini decks that were the Callister starter set. And okay. they were for each of the three starters. There was a Delphox one, a Greninja one, and a Chestnut one, I believe, if I'm remembering right. Um, and Dude, they were little decks that had cards in them. Uh, 
from this era. Uh, Chosen Prey. I mean, it could be Fletchling, Fletchender, or Talonflame. Probably a Fletchling, Chosen Prey. I mean, it is like a bird of prey, I guess. Uh, let me go with what uh, an attack. Let me, let's read an attack name. Bite. Okay, so probably not Fletchling. <laughs> that would be an interesting <laughs> one, yeah, for sure. Um, Bite. Hmm. Chosen Prey. This might trip me up a little bit, honestly. I'm trying to think about. Let me say what's set, uh, what stage the card is. It sounds like it's a basic, most likely. It is a basic, yeah. Yeah, so part of me wants to think like Zigzagoon or something like that, but that is not really... I mean, that's not really a Kalos Pokemon. I don't know if it has to be a Kalos Pokemon or it just was in the Kalos starter set. Um, like, I don't know if all Pokemon in the Kalos starter set are like specifically like Kalos. I don't know what Pokemon are from Kalos. So I, yeah, I know I that. <laughs> you probably never even heard the word Kalos before. I literally until now, I don't think I. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, what games is Kalos? Do you know? Uh, nope, I don't know. If you look um, in the bottom corner at the Kalos starter set symbol, I think you'll have a hint. Nope. X and Y, buddy. Oh, okay. For some reason, I thought it was different. Is that not an X and a Y, the Kalos starter set set symbol? Uh, yeah, it is. Okay. Did you not look at it? I mean, I couldn't really decipher what okay, it was. Okay. But... Um, I guess it could be like Pancham or Bunnelby. Bite doesn't really sound like an attack of a Pancham. It doesn't really sound like Bunnel sound like Bunnelby, but Bunnelby does have some big old teeth, and he is a rabbit, and rabbits do be biting stuff, and that is a Kalos Pokemon. Let's lock it in. We'll go with the Bunnelby Azul. What? Bunnelby. I almost want to give you another guess because I feel like that's a. Ter I wouldn't even guess that. Like oh that feels like a gosh. terrible guess. That is not. That is not it, Chip. Um, I thought. Yeah, I don't know. I. Oh, this one. I liked the flavor text, but the like as everything was coming together, I was like, oh, it's a basic. It has bite. I don't know what Kalos starter set means, but I feel like that's going to be a negative for or make it easier for you to guess it. But uh, yeah, it is Poochiana. Yeah, see, but it tripped me up because I was thinking Kalos starter set is only going to be Pokemon from Kalos. So I don't think Puchiana, I would have gotten Poochiana. Poochiana not from Kalos? No. It's no. Puccino's right. from the best region. <laughs> Which is that one? Hoenn. Okay, good. To That's know. the one that IGN said had too much water. Who did? IGN? Have you not heard of the IGN meme? Um, No. IGN's review of Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire on the 3DS, it's like uh, infamous at this point because their review was summed up as 7.8 out of 10, too much water. Does he have to do that much swimming or something in the? Yeah, I mean, I can see that. I mean, that could be annoying. I that's a respectable review. But it's a remake of the old games, so it's like the map is like just Same. remastered. Oh, well, what was their review of the first game? I don't know. It was old. Well, then maybe this is the first time reviewing the game. IGN Ruby and Sapphire review. IGN's Ruby review nine point five out of ten, buddy. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's that makes sense, and that's that's definitely interesting. They would do that. 7.8 out of 10, too much water. All right. Well, you didn't get any more points this time around, so I do have a chance to um, start to catch up a little bit here. I do need to 
after putting some putting some work. Yeah, quite a big lead still, but uh, you know, theoretically infinite time for me to catch up. So we'll get there. No shot. We do have another major tournament coming up this week. We got Dortmund Regionals this weekend. I don't think there's too much to talk about as far as the meta goes, right? Charger will be the most pop. Well, actually, yeah, Charger will be the most popular deck. Will Roy and Moon have the same popularity in Europe? We'll find out. Tina will probably be Tina and Guardi um, will maybe be like two of the most successful decks. I think that's like a pretty good prediction as well. I think Guardi will kind of bounce back a little bit because it felt like I had a rough time over in Liverpool. No top eights. I mean, there were still a decent amount in top sixteen, top thirty two, but. Expect a Guardi top eight finally, uh, for sure in Liverpool. Yeah, I think like the meta is kind of played out. I think one of the questions is going to be though, um, where do any of the new cards fit in? Right, there is a new set legal, uh, and there's really not. We talked about the set a little bit last week. Nothing crazy in here. Just a handful of cards. Like, is the Charmeleon just an instant slot into Charizard? Maybe, like maybe not. I mean, it's good, but it does mean you're worse against something like Mimic You, right? Um, yeah. There's the new Frigibax, right? Not too many people are playing the Chien Pao. Does this just become the new 70 HP Frigi that you play? Still got to retreat. Doesn't do 10 damage, which is a plus of Chili. We did see Chili get a KO in a stream game in a recent tournament, so it can come up. Uh, but collect draw card can also come up. So does this become the new Frigibacks that Jim Powell players go to? Um, is this card new? This Raichu? This Raichu is kind of interesting. No, I don't think it's, it's like super new. good. It's not new. It's from. Uh, is it from 151 is the same one. <clears throat> I think it's like the third print of that Raichu. <laughs> well, yeah, so it's not good. Um, <laughs> it's It's been around. No one's played it yet. <laughs> There's the new Great Tuskins, Iron Treads, nothing great there. Uh, Azul hates this Cyclozar for obvious reasons. It's all right. It's all right. It's a good. Uh, it's a good Pokemon. Cyclozar. Cyclozar reminds me of like it being like a a dog. Uh, but th then I think it's the two trainer cards is really the two most impactful cards. It's the Moonlit Hill and, and the back Technical back. Machine oh. Crisis Punch. Now for the Moonlit Hill, um, I feel like every for the most part, most Guardi players I have seen have said, like, this card is not worth playing, really. Really? Like, you're not going to play it as a one-of? Well, it's like, you are you cutting a Collapsed or an Artisan for it? Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. I guess it, maybe the big thing is, like, Vacuum. Do you want to keep Vacuum, or should you play the Moonlit Hill? That, that would be the question. I mean, I think that the matchups that this is good against is something like the Rapid Strike, and Rapid Strike's, like, not really big in the meta right now. Yeah. Well, uh, it does let like... you push for a KO a little uh, easier with Gardevoir. Uh, maybe I, I could see, like, I think if you're playing Moonlit Hill, it's like you're trying to play a build that doesn't need Reversal Energy, almost. Well, I think because it's like reversal energy does for you most of the time what Moonlit Hill will do, right? Is it lets you reach like a higher damage threshold? I think the thing is like you need to play a certain amount of ways to bump paths to the peak. So if one of your ways to bump the path to the peak is also a an effective extra reversal energy, that doesn't sound bad to me, right? Sure. That's how uh, I kind of think you about. You do it. have to well, keep the energy around to utilize it as well, though. That's another thing too, like. A lot yeah, of you, you do usually like have the ability to do that, but you know sometimes yeah. it's going to come up where you don't have an energy. Oh, it seems worth to include as a one of. I could be wrong. Also, like lets you play around cheesy stuff, like when in the Tina matchup where they like do ninety ninety to both your shiny Arcanas. 
I can be like, okay, deal 30 off each of them plus Cresselia or something. I don't know. It, it seems worth it as a one of, but maybe not. I mean, I think in pretty much all Japanese lists, it's played as a one of. Um, but it doesn't make like that big of a difference, I don't think. I think it's just like a good card to potentially include in Guardi. Um, but it's not like it's like groundbreaking for Guard for or anything. Then we got the Technical Machine Crisis Punch. I think this is going to, maybe not sneakily, but like this is my prediction for um card like maybe when it's all said and done like the set the card that's like the most impactful from this set i mean when you're choosing between two cards <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah crisis punch it seems like I, i'm actually curious to see if anyone comes up with any kind of cool oh. not checkmate type deck but more so um yeah where it's like all of a sudden this is like fixing situations where like Lost box in the end game was struggling, and now you can go cram crisis punch and just like close out games. All um, I'm gonna say too is don't forget Mime Junior exists. Now let's forget about Mime. It's Jr. not good right now. It's not good right now, but there could come a time. Mimed games gets a surprise KO. You know, some big deck like uh, Arceus Duraludon. You know, if something Arceus like that was... plays against yeah. Makani. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. First you KO the B barrels. Hyper Fang on his B barrel. No, first you KO the B barrels, and then you mime Junior, <laughs> and then he benches an Arceus V and chooses Trinity Charge. Yeah, that's not bad for zero energy. That's 130 damage for zero energy. I'm I'm that, digging that. Do you know what Trinity Charge does? Oh shoot, yeah, yeah. We're <laughs> celebrating our energy to our own Arceus. We're setting up <laughs> broken. Uh, but yeah, uh, nothing too crazy in this set. We already talked about it last week. Um, but it is legal this weekend. Worth mentioning. Atticus is another card. Like, I don't think it's super good right now. Oh, but, like, could come up and be good in the future. Obviously, like, if you want to play Cloth Electrode, you're going to put Atticus in your deck now, I think, this weekend. Like, I don't know if you are. Like, what if yeah? they just KO your Brute and you have an Atticus in your hand? Well, you got to get you're... another Brute anyway. Yeah, but now you can't draw cards to find the Brute because you can't well, play you still Atticus. you got your Beaverell, right? Like, come on. No, nah, you lost. Atticus is... Don't play Atticus. That's no way that thing is good. Yeah, the best card is definitely Moonlit Hill, Crisis Punch. I'm curious to see what, if anyone comes up with anything with Crisis Punch and how short of a time we've had. Um, and then, yeah, Moonlit Hill is like theoretically a, a good one. I guess it sounds like more so more so than not, people are not liking the idea of Moonlit Hill in Guardi. But... Have you seen the Tinkaton EX deck in Japan? No. Do you know what Moonlit... Tinkaton EX does? Yeah, for it's like 30 plus, there's some amount of plus damage for each card in your hand, right? Yeah, yeah, it does 30 damage for each card in your hand so they're playing okay. nimona plus nimona's yeah, backpack yeah. engine <laughs> broken engine nimona plus nimona's backpack can it be stopped i'm not too sure maybe it's maybe it's kind of insane this is broken card buy your tinkaton ex's now hey we need to message <laughs> caleb by the way make sure he picks these up right <laughs> i already have four of them it's on you guys to keep up okay okay um but yeah and one of our predictions this week i mean we can go ahead and get into our predictions unless there's anything else specific about the meta you want to throw out there as well mm, i know i don't think so. like i said the meta is going to be pretty similar um i think like i said i expect guardy to have a little bit better showing than it did in liverpool i think it wasn't terrible like it wasn't terrible in liverpool but i think we'll see a top eight out of Gardvor. um and then the only thing i'm i'm kind of curious about is does the roaring moon hype uh persist over in Europe, as it you know, kind of showed in Knoxville, and um, I guess we just don't have. Well, we actually, we, actually, we do have with something we could have taken a look. We do have Melbourne Day Two numbers. Um, Bronwyn was eight percent, Charizard seventeen, Tina fourteen, Mew ten, Guardy ten. Um, yeah. So will there be that that Roaring Moon hype? 
is uh, something I'm curious about for sure. Does that ward off the Mew from EU? I don't know. Does it make a difference there? Because Fabrizio beat four Roaring Moons uh, on his way. But not to... every Mew player is Fabrizio. It's true, but Fabrizio's Fabrizio. So as long as Fabrizio shows up, that's another dub for Fabrizio for is sure. Is he going to go again? Why not? It was free last time. Pick it up back to back. Sheesh. That would actually be kind of crazy. It's a lot of travel. <laughs> or he just stayed there and just waited. <laughs> he just <stayed>. No, <laughs> yeah. he left Liverpool and started walking, you know. He's going to get to what, Dortmund to... right on time. Yep. Just like, just like, All right. See you guys in Dortmund. Heads over there. Backpacking trip across Europe. Another dub with the Mew. Heads home. Good. That's a good three weeks, you know. All right. Uh, well, yeah, let's do our predictions then. Three predictions for Dortmund Regionals this weekend. Highest placing new Paldean Fates card. Not too many options. Azul, which one are you going to pick? I mean, I think it's got it. The Charmeleon. We got to go with the Charmeleon. Charger will be doing just fine. New Charmeleon. Get it in there. Now, you have to, y'all, I'm relying on the Europeans to actually like play that card and not be too lazy to not go pick it up, but be the difference maker so get your new charmeleons put them in your charizard deck Do you even have to play jirachi anymore if you play charmeleon probably yeah i mean yes less so but i would still play it i think yeah maybe if you play two of the charmeleons you don't need it i don't know well if you're playing jirachi like why are we playing that charmeleon that charmeleon does prevent tm devolution which is yeah. pretty nice also like sometimes you don't have bench base for the jirachi and like that so it's still nice to have that yeah, so why are we even playing the guy you know well i mean sometimes you do have bench base for it, and sometimes you don't have the charmeleon all right, number of... Oh, I'm going to do my uh, prediction. Highest placing new Paldean Fates card is going to be the Crisis Punch. Someone's got something cooked up out there. I can sense it. Some lost box deck. 280 at the end of the game for free with Kramer and Radiant Charizard, something along those lines. I actually should have gone with that Frigid Max. Can I change my pick? No, too late. All right, Rock Charmeleon right. it is. You can change it to Frigid Max. <laughs> uh, I'm changing it to Frigid Max. Let's go. Chi and Pao's back, baby. <laughs> Top... I mean, I don't know how high it's going to play. It probably actually, I'm about to say top eight, but I don't even know if I have that confidence in Chi That's and Pao right now. That's a poor pick, all buddy. The, all right, all let's go on around. to our next prediction. Most uh, are the number of Spiritomb in top eight. We are in Europe after all. Uh, Spiritomb's picking up a little bit of popularity this weekend in other parts of the world. Will that translate to Europe? We're going to set the line for this one at 2.5 Azul over under 2.5 Spiritomb in top eight. I'm going under. Europeans do not know how to tech for Mew. But I don't think Mew's going to have that good of a tournament overall in Europe still. The Roaring Moon hype might be there in Europe. Um, I'm going with the over, but it's not because they're teching for Mew. It's because they're teching for Roaring Moon. Let's get it. Spiritomb. Actually, you know what? Three Spiritomb and Top Cut's a lot. Maybe we should have said it at 1.5. If it was 1.5, I think I would take the over. But I think at 2.5, I'm going under. All right. Yeah, I'm going to go under. Change my mind. Okay, and then the final question. Will a non-European make top cut? Of course, Fabrizio from Peru came over and won their last tournament. There's been plenty of international travel this year for regionals, which I think is pretty cool to see. I'm not too sure how many people from outside of Europe are traveling to this one, but you know, there's surely some amount of them, right? Um, what do you think is a non-European to make top cut? um non-european to make top cut i mean if fabrizio was going i would say yes but because i don't know Ooh, um that's a tough one i'm gonna go with no i go with no no faith in i just don't know if there's any americans going to be honest no faith in my fellow americans is kaito going 
Then I would say yes. If Kaito and Haru show up, then I'm going with a yes. Ooh, now you got me thinking, to be honest. Kaito I didn't went really think to Liverpool. That's true. Uh, I'm still going to go with no. I feel like if they went to, well, maybe not. They went from Liverpool to Melbourne, where they go from Melbourne back to Dortmund. Possible. That's a lot of flying. That's a lot of travel. Dude, I would be exhausted, man. Maybe they're just going to go back to Japan after Melbourne. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with no. I'm gonna go with no. I just don't know enough people who are potentially going. So I'm. Going I don't know no. enough people, but I've got faith in those who are there because there will surely be someone. <laughs> and I'm going with yes. Yeah. Is Brent I mean, Thompson as... going? I don't know. That would be a lot of travel again. But yeah, you know. immediately just got back home and immediately just leaves to go back to Europe. <laughs> Although he's yeah. full time poke, bro. I don't think it was on his schedule. I remember him tweeting out his like. Actually, we could just check if Brent's going. To be honest, he did tweet out his schedule. Yeah. Out everywhere that's okay we don't have to check it i'm gonna have faith someone's going and we're saying yes all right and that's the uh that's the last prediction here that we have this week as well you got anything else you want to cover before we get out of here and get into our bonus episode brent is not going to that's what you want to add that was it. That's all I got. Close this out, Chip. All right. Thanks so much to everyone for listening, as always, and for your support. It is very much appreciated. And if you want to show your support, the best way to do it is to just leave us a like, a rating, a review, wherever you are listening, comment on the YouTube video. All those things do go a long way in helping more people discover the podcast and uh, yeah, letting us know that you're enjoying the content. If you want to go that little extra mile, be sure to check out the Patreon. We are going to be... Hopping over there in just a second for our weekly bonus episode. And then also check out our second YouTube channel, Uncommon Energy, linked in the description. We've got two videos up there right now. Next one will be coming out in a couple of weeks, most likely uh, Evolution Series Episode 2, the much-anticipated Evolution Series Episode 2. Hope you guys are looking forward to it. And... Um, yeah, you can also follow us on Twitter if you want to stay up to date with us. You can follow myself at chip Ritchie. azul is at azul underscore gg and you can follow the podcast at uncommon underscore energy appreciate the support as always catch y'all next week wednesday 7 a.m eastern peace